Well, good morning, 10.30. How are we doing today? Good, good. There we go. Uh, my name is John. If we haven't met yet, I'm on the team as our executive pastor. Uh, Brian Halferty is our lead pastor here, and he, during his vacation, messaged me to say, please tell the church on Sunday I miss them, <laughs> um, and I love them. And so he will be back next week. Um, it's been really fun to be a part of a staff and a team that's led by an individual named Brian who, who practices what he preaches, right? A community where we have, where, where you've heard Brian talk on the importance of Sabbath and rest, and so we've been grateful that he's been able to take a couple of weeks. Um, if you get a chance, keep him and his wife Candace and their kids uh, in your prayers for, for some more rest as he comes back a week from now. Uh, we're in what I believe is a really unique season as a church. I avoided saying unprecedented time because we're all tired of that phrase after the last year and a half. But I do believe that this is a unique season for us as a church. Uh, the state reopened on the 30th, and there are still some guidelines in effect for vulnerable populations like kids and homeless shelters and things. But by and large, things are, are slowly trending towards normal. And so I just think this, that, that next week we're, we're launching a new series at Anchor called Rebuilding. And here's what I know, is I actually, that series is going to be vital for the health of our church. Like if you're in this room, whether it's your first week here at Anchor or you've been here since core team days, here's what, I, here's what I want. Can you engage really well in the next two months as we go through this rebuilding series? We think this, that, that going into the fall, there's going to be a new normal. And there's going to be a lot of needs that as a church we get to be a part of meeting in our city, in our community, in our world. And so we're going to dive deep into Scripture for a couple months and see what does God have to say about his heart for rebuilding broken things. We're going to look in the book of Nehemiah at a really large undertaking that someone had to rebuild something according to what God wanted. And I actually think this, that that series is going to help determine a lot of our trajectory for the next year, even two years for us as a church. And so today I wanted to take a moment for us to really get ready for that series. And so we're in a, in a, in a one-day exclusive series called Chosen People, um, and here's the heart behind it. We're going to talk about what the church is, what the church isn't, and what does this mean for us moving forward. And some of you, you're here and you are brand new. Some of you are here and you're new to Anchor. Some of you are here and you're new to following Jesus, or even the idea of following Jesus. You're like, I don't know if I follow Jesus. I'm just in the room. That's awesome. I'm really glad you're here. I actually think that this is a great Sunday for you to be here. Because this morning, I'm going to talk a lot about what we think the church should be. And here's my hope. My hope isn't that you come away and go, man, Anchor's got it all together. They all have it all figured out. My hope is this, is that you hear our heart for what the church can and should be. And you say, I want to be a part of that church. Even if I don't believe in Jesus, like, I want to be a part of that because I think they're doing some really cool stuff. Like, and I think they're making a difference. I just... I know some of you are here and you're brand new and Anchor, you're brand new to Anchor, and Anchor is maybe your last stop on organized religion. And you're like, I think I'm done with the church, but I'm going to give it one last chance because my friend said, come here. I'm so glad you're here. Like, I've been there, and I'm just, I'm glad that you're in the room today. So we're going to talk about what the church is. Let's dive in. Um, I think a lot of times we have questions about what the church is. Is it a building? Is it an organization? Is it a food bank? Is it a, an institution? What is it? A leader that I really look up to said this about the church. He said, if you handed someone a Bible and after they read it, you asked, what's a church? What's, what are the chances that they would say it's a building, a business, or an institution? I'd say zero. 
I think there are business aspects to any organization like a church. I think there's institutional aspects to the church, and some of those we celebrate, some of those we lament, right? But I, but I also think that at its core, the church isn't any of those things. And this leader would actually articulate this, that if someone read the Bible from cover to cover, and then afterwards was asked, what is the church? They would say, it's people. The church is people. I'm going to say that again. The church is people. We're going to say that a lot today because I, like, if you leave with one thing in your head, I want it to be that, that the church is people. Ecclesia is a Greek word that's frequently translated as the word church in our Bible. In fact, it's used 115 times in the New Testament. Again, the New Testament is kind of the last third of our Bible. It's a time, it was written in a time from kind of chronologizing Jesus' birth through the future. And Ecclesia was originally used not in a religious context. It was originally used um, in the Roman Empire as a word that described a group of citizens gathering together for civic benefit. Um, Think an assembly or a town hall in our vernacular or a, a school board meeting, right? Like some of those things where we come together for a civic purpose. Another way that Ecclesia is translated isn't just assembly of people, but it also means called out people. Another way of saying that is chosen. That's where we get chosen people for today. And the text that we're going to be in is in the book of 1 Peter today. We're going to be in chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there and follow along. We will have it on the screen. But before we get there, some background. Uh, 1 Peter was, ironically enough, written by a guy named Peter. Um, He was writing a letter to churches that were located in the region called Asia Minor at the time that this letter was written. And some context that's important to know is that the churches at this time were experiencing a ton of hardship, a ton of of governmental persecution, a ton of just difficult things. And so we look, and we look and say, okay, let's look at our church today in its context. And I want to be really clear here. The American church is not being persecuted. It's just not. But we have come out of a really difficult season. I think every organization, every entity has been hit hard in some way by the pandemic. But I think the nature of how church is, is that we gather together weekly in person. The church has actually been hit harder by COVID than a lot of other areas. And so while it's not a perfect one-for-one comparison, because again, these churches in Asia Minor were experiencing tremendous hardship that we haven't as an American church, it's still like we're coming out of a tough season to be the church. I think it's interesting that as, as, as Peter is writing this letter, he's taking them back to basics. He says this in, in, in verse 9, the beginning part, but you, speaking to the church, are a chosen people. Underline chosen people, highlight it in your Bible app. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We're going to say it again. The church is... One more time. The church is... There we go. We're going to drill that in. I want you to leave with that echoing in your head for the next week. The church is people. Uh, Before I came to Anchor, I was pastoring a church in Bainbridge Island, and Bainbridge is a fun community where you know everyone. We had some friends that lived on Bainbridge with us, and they used to go to the church I was working at, but they hadn't for a few years. I think people leave churches for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's conflict. Sometimes it's worship style. Sometimes it's speaking style. That's why these friends left that church before I got there. Something interesting happened about six or seven months into my time on staff at this church. They visited again one week. A couple weeks later, they came back. Came back the following week. Then they showed up on Easter. And, and some, like, insider pastor stuff. If someone shows up at your church on Easter, you're like, I think this is your church now. 
Like, that's, that's the sign for us. That you're like, okay, this is probably your church now. And so I remember I sat down and I said, hey, I think this is your church now. And they're like, yeah, it is. I said, what changed? Why are you back? I'll never forget this. My friend said this. She said, look, the, the, the teaching style on Sunday mornings isn't quite what I'm looking for. I, I want something that feels more like an in-depth, word-for-word Bible study in the teachings on Sunday morning. She said, but I realize this, that all my people are here. And like, this is actually the group of people that I want to do life and do the mission that Jesus has called me to with. She said, and then I realized something, she said. She said, I realized that no matter what's said in a sermon on Sunday morning, it's actually on me as a follower of Jesus to study the Bible. And that if I'm looking for depth, I need to be finding that in my Monday through Friday, not just relying on a pastor on a Sunday morning. And she was like, is that okay? I was like, y- yes. <laughs> like, can we just fill the church with all of you? Like, I love that heart, that vision that says, like, it's on me to study the word. Yes, pastors on a Sunday morning help equip that, but really, the church is people, and that's the most important thing. And Peter, he describes the type of people. If we can go back to that verse 9a, the first part of verse 9, we see all these different descriptors for who the people are. First is chosen. It's important to know you have been chosen by God. Right? God did this intentionally. He said, the church is going to be where my work is done when Jesus is no longer here. And I'm going to use people for this. This wasn't God saying, whoops, I don't got it, so I'm going to turn it over to humans. Because that's a bad idea, right? Like, like, humans aren't better than God at this. But he said, it's actually part of my plan to use broken people from day one. This was always the plan. The next descriptor that Paul gives us is really interesting. We don't have a modern context for it, so we're going to unpack it a little bit. It's royal priesthood. Royal. We don't have royalty these days, right? One of the things about royal families is they were, family was everything, right? I just think this, Paul uses the image of the people of God being siblings throughout his writings and some other letters in the Bible, and Peter speaks of it here. He says this, we are family. That as a chosen people, as that royal priesthood, the church is family. I think there's some really cool aspects of the church being family. Last uh, spring, we did a series on, on the Forge family. There's some awkward aspects about the church being family. And if you guys got that weird relative that you avoid at Thanksgiving, that you try not to talk to because they're going to talk your ear off for half an hour? Yep. Okay, we don't need hands because it's going to get real awkward. Um... I think I'm someone's weird church relative. Like, you're probably someone's weird church relative, too. Like, let's just cards on the table. There's a moment where they're like, I'm cool going to church Thanksgiving. I'm going to ignore Pastor John. He's weird. I just think this, that, that as family, it means this, that that bond is lasting. I was a youth pastor for eight years, and I remember I talked to students who were really struggling with relationships with their biological family. Students who would say, you know, John, my dad walked out on me. And he's hit or miss in my life. I said, sometimes I think it'd just be easier if I cut off all relationship with my dad. And then my life would be easier. I remember saying, like, I get that. I get that desire. But here's what you need to remember. They're going to be your dad for the rest of your life. That no matter what your relationship is like, that when someone says your dad, or when you think of dad or father, like, that person is still going to be that person. There is no other dad. And so you get to decide how you have that relationship with them. And I want to be abundantly clear, like, there are reasons to cut off a relationship with someone for your own health and safety, for the health and safety of your kids. I think that's important. But with church family, can we let that be the exception and not the rule? Because I don't know about you, but when I see us cut out church family, I see a lot of times it's, oh, they gossiped about me. 
oh, they, they think the church budget should go differently than me. Oh, their kid did something that I don't agree with. I don't like how they parent. They voted differently than me. They worship differently than me. That's family. Like, they're always going to be family. I think this, can we be people that, yes, boundaries are important, and, and, and I'd love to talk with you individually about what that looks like, but can we be people that have a rule of leading with grace, of leading with unconditional grace and forgiveness the way that Jesus has forgiven us? Because it's our family. Peter also uses this word priesthood, which I think is really interesting. And, and in Israel, there was a tribe uh, called the Levites, and they were the, the priests of the, of the family of Israel. And as a priest, they really had essentially two, two lines in their job description. Line one was this, advocate for people before God and represent God to the people. Okay? Represent people before God and represent God to the people. The Bible uses this word interceding or intercessory, and it talks about this idea that we can actually advocate to God on behalf of someone else. And I don't know about you, but too often in my life, I found myself quicker to condemn people to God than to advocate for them. That too often I have moments where I look at God and I say, God, will you punish this person who hurt me? God, will you reject this person who hurt me? God, will you enact justice on this person that hurt me? And the Bible actually says that's not my job. Bible actually is really clear. It says you're doing the, the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Bible is really clear. It says this, that when someone hurts you, when someone abuses you, when someone, especially someone who doesn't know Jesus hurts you, our job is to say, God, will you forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? What would our hearts look like if we led with advocating for those who hurt us instead of condemning those who hurt us to God? I think, I think that's for us more than it is for them. The second thing is this, we're told to represent God to the people, and, and I think that's really important that we do that in word and deed, and we're going to talk about that later, that those of us who have said yes to Jesus, who have experienced the freedom that God has given us, have a responsibility to share that with others. Keep going, though. Peter says this. He says we're a holy nation. I think this, that, that, that means that we are no longer bound to the invisible borders of this world, the way that the world categorizes and divides, but our holy nation transcends man-made borders and categories. And again, this doesn't mean it's, it's a homogenous nation, right? Again, unity does not mean uniformity. In Revelation 7, we see this beautiful picture of a myriad of people from all different ethnicities, races, backgrounds coming together and worshiping God together at the end of time, and it's this beautiful, beautiful picture. But being a part of a holy nation does mean this, that it actually transcends our citizenship on earth. I have friends that I love that have been sworn in either as law enforcement officers or as military personnel, and they understand that while they work and they are sworn to serve this country that allows us so many freedoms, that it is secondary to our citizenry in heaven. That actually says this, that too often we fall into the trap of, of allowing our, our patriotism of this country to direct our faith, and, and God actually says that the opposite needs to happen. Again, we can be patriotic. I love it. I love that we're in this country where we have the freedom to have this conversation, to, to open our doors as wide as possible and say, come here about Jesus. It's incredible. I am grateful to the friends of mine who have served to make that possible, but I'm also grateful to those friends of mine who are Jesus followers that know that that's their second citizenship. Why is it their second citizenship? It's that last descriptor that Paul uses that says that we are God's special possession. We are God's special possession. That's who we belong to. 
And again, that doesn't mean that we just dip on our responsibilities and say, it's okay, I don't have any responsibilities here because I'm God's. No, it's not that. It means that we're called to view everything in light of God, his will and his way. I think it's important to know, again, that we are chosen people, that we are chosen intentionally, and we are chosen for a purpose. Purpose. As the Marvel character Loki would say, glorious purpose. Something interesting about the, like, Cards on the Table, I love the Loki TV show. We're not spoiling anything. It's fine. Um, but it gained a lot of popularity, and it gained a stunning amount of popularity for a Marvel product that had no huge fight scenes. Like, I think that's interesting. When you think of, of the Avengers movies, you think of Endgame, you think of these huge, giant set pieces, and Loki is like two people having a conversation for a lot of it. I think it's because so much of it centered around this conversation of purpose. And you see Loki, who from the beginning had this self-centered, selfish purpose that we've seen throughout the entire MCU to date, and we get to engage in the conversations of, is that really it? I think this, that all of us are looking for a purpose beyond ourselves. I think we're also in a unique season as a culture where we're reevaluating what that purpose is and what does that mean. The amount of people who are leaving jobs and joining new jobs is staggering, right? We, we, we're calling it culture the great resignation. I think that's because a lot of times there, it's easy to put your purpose into your work. It's easy to do those 60, 70 hours a week as an executive when you're in the executive senior level meetings, you have lunch being brought in, you have all the people to hustle and bustle around you, and I think you have a year of sitting in your pajamas on Zoom and wonder, is this really what my purpose is? Like that moment where you're pulled out of the trappings of the workplace, out of the trappings of your kids' sports, out of the trappings of the ways that you found identity, and it caused you to take a look and say, is this really everything? And God promises this, that we have purpose. I believe this, that all of us were made on purpose for a purpose. All of us were made on purpose for a purpose. I know this, some of you are here and you've been carrying the weight since childhood of your parents said that you weren't made on purpose. I don't know what would possess a parent to say that to a child, and I need you to know that if you've been told that, that's a lie. That no matter what your parents have said to you, that you are not an accident. You were made on purpose for a purpose. Peter says this. He says what that purpose is. That purpose is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I think this, we all have a purpose in life. I think it's twofold when we look at that purpose beyond ourselves. The first is this, is to worship God in community. Those of you that have said yes to Jesus, I'm talking to you for the next few minutes. Those of you who haven't yet, I want you to watch and, and see if this lines up what you think someone should do according to what we see in the Bible. We're supposed to worship God in community, guys. So we did that whole doxology series for the last month. There's something significant that happens when we come together and say, God, we love you, we praise you, we acknowledge you, we thank you, and we're doing so together. I just think this, if you've said yes to Jesus, there's something significant that comes from happening. And I know you guys know this because you're in the room. Like, show up on a Sunday. <laughs> like, be here in the room. Like, I think we have seen in this season of online, like the pendulum swung. We're like, no, there's actually some stuff that matters in person together. There's some stuff that we have to be together. There's something that comes from, you, like, you can pray over Zoom, but there's something that happens when you lay hands on someone and pray for them. I think this, like, we need to show up. If we believe this is our purpose, why aren't we living out into our purpose? 
Like, if you're in an anchor group or a growth group, show up. Like, I can't tell you I'm an introvert. There are so many times that going into anchor group, growth group, I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't like people. I'm a pastor. I don't like people. It's a weird thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but like that social anxiety hits me, and I'm like, I don't want to go. And then I show up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. Something happens when we come together. Like when someone in your group texts you, like, show up. If you're like, man, I wish the church would do something for this person in my group, like, you are the church. If you're like, the church should do something, you should do something. There have been so many times that I've looked and been like, why isn't the church doing so? Like, oh, I'm the church. I'm supposed to do it. And don't, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I understand, like, uh, Scripture very clearly. And as a pastor on the team here at Anger, there is a great responsibility and weight that I carry for the care of God's people. But also this, like, the church is people. <laughs> the church is people. I think something else that we do together when we are that second purpose is to, is to proclaim the excellence of God. We do so in word and deed. In Romans 10, Paul actually addresses this. He says this, How can they call on him, being God, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in God if they have never heard about God? And how can they hear about God unless someone tells them? As we have an obligation, those of us who said yes to Jesus, to tell people about what we found. Now I want to be careful here. Please don't be that person with a megaphone at, like, a Sounders game. Like, don't do that. If you, like, if, you know, I don't, you don't have to do, like, I grew up in a weird era of the church where we did, like, gospel tracks and wordless bracelets. And, like, if that works for you, awesome. But, like, if that feels weird to you, don't do that. I just think this, like, we have so many opportunities to proclaim God in word. I get so frustrated sometimes, just like honest moment, I get so frustrated sometimes where I see people um, who follow Jesus and they're in a conversation at work and someone says to them, man, like, you just got through a really hard season. Like, how'd you do it? And they're like, oh, I have great people around me. I guess I'm just lucky. I'm like, lucky? Like, the people around you are the church. Like, that's how you found those relationships. That's how you found that group that got you through that hard season. And that's not luck. That's the hand of God in your life. Like, can we be people who stop saying we're lucky? <laughs> like, no wonder people aren't coming to church anymore. Like, no wonder we're seeing those numbers drop as a country across the board. It's because we have these moments, and, and I, I've been guilty of this too, where I'm waiting for someone to come up to me and, like, almost have the script where they're like, John, you are slow to anger. You are patient. Uh, there's something different about you. What is that? Like, if you're waiting for that script to tell someone about God or about Jesus, it's not going to happen. I just think there are so many opportunities that we have in our daily life where people will say, hey, how come you don't make fun of that person at work with us? You can tell them about God there. Hey, I notice that you don't get stressed out as easily. What is that? There seems to be something about that. It's fine to say I have a peace, and here's how I found peace. Like, people want to hear this. We just have to look for those opportunities, and like we talked about last week, like, push out of our comfort zone. I also think this, that, that deed, our, our actions matter I often joke that um, my, my driving isn't sanctified enough to have an anchor bumper sticker on my car. <laughs> I just think this, and to be clear, I've only done half of this. Um, if someone cuts you off and then flips you off, that's the part I didn't do, um, and then says, but Jesus loves you, do you believe it? <laughs> like if someone's 
gossiping constantly at work, and it's like, man, you should come on Sunday, like, God's amazing. We sure? Like, I just think this, like, we don't expect people to be perfect here, but we do expect people to try. Like, we put a warning sign out front. We're like, there's no one perfect here. Like, Jesus is going to come back someday. Then we'll have a perfect person there. But until then, like, there's no one perfect here. So we're not asking you to have it together. We are saying, like, can we try? Can we own when we make mistakes? I think this, it's so easy to point out a problem. It's a lot harder to solve a problem. One of the many blessings in my life is my wife, Rose, who is a much better person than I am. And, uh, see, you guys were supposed to laugh at that, and you didn't, which means you're just, like, on the team with me there. Uh, we sent our kids to a, to a day camp at our old church, which was just a ton of fun. Um, we have a five-year-old named Griffy and a three-year-old named Aria and a seven-month-old named Sai, who was not a camper. Um, and Rose was really looking forward to having five days, three hours a day, where she only had the baby. And then on Monday, Aria came back in tears. She'd had a, she's three, so it's really easy for her to have a rough experience. But she had a hard time with her group. And Rose had a, had a not great interaction with her group leader that left Rose with a bad taste in her mouth. I think it would have been really easy for her to be like, John, you know the people running this camp. They're good friends of yours. Tell them to fix this. And instead, this is why I love my wife. She, she looked and said, I think they just need more hands. Like, I think having a preschool group is a lot, and they just need more hands. So Rose jumped in. She became the group leader for the next week at kids' camp, completely unplanned. Like, that's just who she is, because she gets it, right? She looks at this and goes like, hey, the church should do something about this, and goes, oh, I'm the church. I should do something about this. Like, I just think this, I, again, I have a great responsibility as one of the pastors here, and I understand that. But can I also say this, like, as people who go to church, we have a responsibility as well. And will you do me a favor? The next time that you think or someone tells you, hey, the church should do blank, will you look in two places first? Will one, you look at your small group, your anchor group, and two, will you look in the mirror? Like, I, like those have been the most convicting moments for me. I was a Jesus follower long before I was a pastor. I've only been a pastor on staff for like five years now. And I just remember being angry or up in arms or thinking the church should prioritize this, the church should give to this, the church should fund this, it should do that, and go, oh, I think I'm supposed to. It breaks my heart that they're the perception of the church that we see in the world sometimes, and it breaks my heart when I realize I have a responsibility for that even when I'm not on staff. Can we be the church that's known for being merciful because our people are merciful? Can we be the church that's known for being forgiving because our people are forgiving? Can we be the church that's known for caring for the least of these because we care for the least of these? When we see a need in our small group, can we rally around together and say, let's take care of this together? And please, yes, as someone on staff here, bring your ideas and dreams to me. Like, bring us your ideas, your dreams. We want to help make that happen. We think that's how this is supposed to go. I think this, we have a responsibility no one else is doing it, guys. Like, this isn't plan B. The church is plan A. God has looked at this room full of broken human beings like me and said, this is it. And the purpose, guys, it is so much better than anything we could ever do on our own. This purpose of bringing hope and healing and freedom to the world and getting to play a part of that, because when you're a part of that, some of you know this so well, when you get to be a part of that, it fills you up in a way that nothing else can. We're going to have the band come up as we close. Because this was God's plan. This was the plan. 
We look in Genesis and God looks at Abram and he says, there's going to be someone who comes from your descendants, from your lineage, who saves the world. That was thousands, that was so long ago. We look at David in our Unlikely series and God says the same thing, from your lineage, from your, from your family, there's going to be someone that changes the world. It's going to be Jesus. God's chosen us. I talked about this last week. We can worship a lot of things that we're not supposed to. We can give to a lot of things in, in a search of purpose, and it's always going to find us wanting. I, <laughs> I'm such a people pleaser. I'm so achievement-oriented. I can't tell you how many times I've placed my hope and my faith not in Jesus, but on that next achievement. You know what happens every time? I'm like, this isn't what I wanted. The only things that have ever truly filled me up has been able to be part of God and his amazing work that he's asked the church to do. I think there's probably two different takeaways for you guys here today. First is this. Some of you are here and, and you haven't said yes to Jesus. And I think if you're here and you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, I would bet the limited amount of money that I have, but it's all I have, that at some point in the last 12 months, you've wrestled with what is your purpose. At some point in the last 12 months, you've asked yourself the question, is this really all that there is? The answer is no. The answer is that God has a, has a purpose, yes, a glorious purpose, in the truest sense of the word, far beyond anything we could ever imagine on our own. If that's you, I just, I just think God might be saying to you that today is your day to say yes to him. I think there's a larger group of us, though, and we said yes to Jesus, and maybe you've been at Anchor for a while, or maybe this is your first week, and you need to know that God has some special things ready for us as a community. And, and I was legitimately praying and asking God, like, what do you want us to do with this week? He said, get the people ready. I said, John, you need to get ready first and foremost, and then you need to help get the people ready. I think this God has some amazing stuff in store for us, and he needs all of us in this room. Like the next two months, I really believe are going to set the trajectory for the next two years of this church. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. Will you go home today? Will you talk to whoever you talk to about decisions and ask, what is God asking you to step into? Maybe for some of you that's saying yes to, to a small group for the first time, to an anchor group or to a growth group. Maybe for some of you that's saying, I'm going to lead in those ways. Maybe for you, it's saying, I'm going to serve on a Sunday to make moments like this in the gathering possible. I love the purpose of our serve teams. I love that we have hospitality volunteers. And it's not so we can say, look at us. We're like a cool hipster coffee place. Like, we don't even do coffee anymore. But our heart is this, like, we're doing coffee again. Don't worry. We're, we're getting through the pandemic. But our heart is this. Our heart is this, is that there are some people who have left churches under a cloud of shame and guilt and tears. And we want to make sure that every single person who comes into that parking lot has a face that smiles at them and it says, I love you. I love that this is a church where people know when they come in, they're like, people are friendly here. I'm loved, my kids are loved. We have an amazing anchor kids team. And again, the heart is not that we want to say we have a great kids ministry. It's this one, kids matter to Jesus. Until we know that some of you are here and able to pay attention to the message that God has for you only because your kid's taken care of right now and your kid is loved. So maybe for you it's saying, I'm going to jump up and I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve one gathering, I'm going to attend another, because this is too important. This purpose that God has for Anchor in this moment, in this city, is too important for me to miss out on. Maybe for you it's, it's this, and, and again, cards on the table, this was me. 
where you say, God, I'm all in on everything but not my money. God, I'm all in on serving at church. I'll give you my time. I'll, I'll show up on Sundays, but, but like, I don't make that much. Like, my money's mine. God's asking you this. Like, will you, will you give that to me and see what I can do with that far better than you can? I just think this, that, that God has some really cool things in store for us as a church, and he's got to have us all in on that. I'm not going to ask you to make a decision on that today, but I am going to say, will you go home and talk to whoever you make big decisions with about this thing and say, God has something that's next for us here. Will you guys stand with me as we pray? God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for the fact that you've, you've chosen us, that this, we're not your backup plan, God, but you always knew that this was what it was going to be and that you've chosen to use broken people like me to be your church. God, may we never forget that the church is people. And God, I pray for, for anyone here who, who has heard for the first time that there could be a purpose beyond themselves, that there could be a purpose that makes everything come into clarity. God, would you lean in on their heart? God, would they say yes to you in your freedom today? And God, we pray this as well, that for us as a community, as a group gathered here together, God, may we take the scary step of sincerely asking you, God, what are you calling me to here at Anchor? God, I know this, that this city is hurting our world is hurting. And God, I know that you've called us to, to be your church and help heal this city and this world. So God, I pray for courage to ask, what is that in my life? I pray for the conviction to follow through on that. And God, I pray that over everyone here. God, we're so grateful for the freedom and the hope that you've given us. In your name, amen.